Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to the History Today podcast. In this episode... Churchill's plan to win the First World War. But first, a quick mention of our December issue, which is out now. In it, Jacob Norris looks at the history of the real Bethlehem. S. Frederick Starr investigates the 11th century Islamic scholar who may have discovered the New World. Former NASA employee David Baker shows how the US Air Force helped make the moon landing possible. And Alan Mallinson looks at a lost memo by Winston Churchill. It's this memo that we're discussing in the podcast. It was written by Churchill prior to the First World War, whilst he was Home Secretary, and concerned the prospect of a coming European conflict. Though ignored at the time, it proved to be quite prescient, and had its recommendations been acted upon, could have brought the Great War to an early end. Alan, welcome. Can you tell us the background to this meeting? Now, Churchill was Home Secretary at the time in 1911. Yes, it was a meeting of the Committee of Imperial Defence, which had been um, set up just after the Boer War, as a sort of sounding house for strategic ideas that were meant to then be fed into the various departments for executive action. It wasn't specifically a subcommittee of the the cabinet, Um, but it sometimes acted in that way. It was chaired by always the prime minister in 1911, Asquith, of course, Mm -hmm. and the, the membership of the committee was entirely by the invitation of the prime minister. It had a very small permanent secretariat. And in the summer of 1911, there was, of course, the, um, still going on, the second Moroccan crisis, the Agadir crisis, uh, which looked at one stage as if it might lead in that uh, strange sort of domino effect way to a war between Germany and France, Mm -hmm. which a number of incidents in both North Africa and the Balkans had looked as though they were going to end in war in previous years. Um, And what happened was that Asquith thought that it was probably a good idea to review the plans of the War Office and the Admiralty to see what, if the decision was taken to go to the aid of the French, what we could do. And the meeting was held on the uh, 23rd of August. But prior to it, Churchill, who, as you say, was Home Secretary, young man, 36, uh, an abiding interest in military matters. He was, of course, a former regular soldier, and he was also a major in the Oxfordshire Hussars, a yeomanry regiment, very active. He was a frequent visitor to the German army manoeuvres. He wanted to come anyway, there's no doubt about it. And also, as Home Secretary, he had certain responsibilities for... Um, 
home security. But prior to the meeting, he sent in a memorandum. And in this memorandum, he suggested that if the Germans were to attack France, uh, they would not be able to do so through the defended, uh, the strongly defended Franco-German uh, border, which had been strengthened greatly with, with forts and heavy guns after the Prussian War, Franco-Prussian War, and that they would come instead in great strength through uh, Belgium and try to do a repeat of what they did at Sedan, an encircling movement. And this is the Schlieffen plan? The... Uh, the the idea um, of a massive German attack developing through Belgium was in fact discounted by the director of military operations, Henry Wilson, Major General, who was in close contact with the French general staff and reflected the French general staff's view that the Germans simply didn't have enough troops to develop a major attack through Belgium, that they would have to leave because this would inevitably be a two-front war, um, France and Russia were um, in alliance, that the Germans would have to leave a large number of divisions in East Prussia to make sure there was no spoiling attack, probably some 20 divisions they calculated. And they also didn't believe that they could really generate from the call-up of all their reserves quite as many divisions um, as um, Churchill's sources suggested. And so basically, the, uh, the, the memorandum was heard uh, in um, uh, heard with respect or, but, but, but uh, in, a, in, a, in a way respectful derision um, Wilson writing it off in his diary entry for that day as a, 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 a fantastic preposterous uh, memorandum mm -hmm. and how much was Churchill's ideas of the strength of the German army informed by his observations well, that's a very good question because uh, no one uh, really knows where the information that um, he based his memorandum on um, came from. He had a lot of contacts, there's no doubt about it. People uh, in the army um, spoke freely to him, um, but, but they didn't necessarily have any inf more information th than anyone else. I think it's, it's fair to say that young Winston had formed for himself an idea of um, just, well, he, he talked about the restless energy of the, um, the, the German army mm -hmm. and uh, the, the, the sheer mobilizable size. They were a conscript army. They had a two-year turnover of conscripts. And over the years, that built up enormous reserves of men uh, to call up. And he simply couldn't imagine that if, the Germans were going to uh, violate Belgian neutrality, which he believed they would have to do because they wouldn't be able to make any rapid progress across the Franco-German um, border. If they were going to violate Belgian neutrality, then it didn't make sense to violate it in anything less than massive strength. Mm -hmm. And how much of that is also influenced? I mean, thinking about the... the that Churchill was there seeing observations of the German army. How much was that also influenced, or how aligned was he with people like, say, Lord Milner and the National Service League, uh, people who were quite keen on conscription, were very aware of the threat of, of German militarism? Um, was, was Churchill closely connected to them? Was his thinking influenced by them? I, I think he's... 
I think he spoke to everyone. It, it's uh, he, he 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 was clearly. I mean, if you read Henry Wilson's diaries, uh, you see that while Wilson um, dismissed his ideas as being um, you know flights of fancy or what have you, um, there was a great respect uh, for him, and and everyone was prepared to talk to him. Now the as you suggest, the advocates of uh, of national service and, and Churchill never really, uh, I don't think Churchill ever really declared his hand um, uh, unequivocally whether he supported the idea of, uh, of national service um, or, or not. People people change their um, their views. It's it's, it's absolutely true. Um, but uh, but I think that the fear of um, a German invasion of these islands was certainly one that that did preoccupy um, a number of ministers and influential people in that decade. Uh, and that, of course, was one of the reasons that Haldane, as war minister, went to such pains to reorganize, reinvigorate the, uh, the volunteers forming them into the territorial army to make sure that home defense was on a sound footing because it was pretty clear that um, even if the liberal government had wanted to introduce uh, conscription uh, and it was it was really um, almost intrinsically against their uh, their instincts that there wouldn't be enough support um, or time really to, um, to to organise a sufficiently large force, mm -hmm. and indeed, it's not until 1916 that they eventually managed to put them into, in, into operation. Indeed. And do you think that's linked also to um, much older uh, tradition of anti-militarism in Britain, the, the suspicion of a standing army? Yes. Well, of course, if you go back to 1660, the first thing that um, uh, almost everyone. Will, wanted to do was to disband the, the remnants of um, Cromwell's new model army, um, a, a, a reversion to the, to the sort of instinctive position uh, in this country that, you know, we have a navy to keep the, the foreign rabble out, and we have a, a militia of, um, of good men called up from the, from the counties when there was trouble internally to sort out. Um, but of course, even uh, even as even after ten years um, from the disbandment of the, the new model army, we had um, we had raised effectively uh, yet another regular army because of the realities of the um, de demands of events and um, on the overseas possessions. Yeah, yeah. But the uh, to, but just to return to the uh, the memorandum and what proved uh, what proved so interesting about it. Which is the? It, it's it's not by any means a, um, a, a the central core of my book on the subject, but it but it does form a very interesting coda. But um, Churchill's analysis of what the Germans would do proved to be exactly right. Uh, the Germans, in fact, were able to generate far more frontline troops from their conscripts than anyone had. Um, able to uh, to calculate and they took a huge gamble in leaving only eight or nine uh, divisions in East Prussia so there were many more troops available for the, uh, the swing through Belgium uh, uh, and that is really what knocked the French off balance to start
and put the small British Expeditionary Force um, off balance, I would argue, until the, the, the middle of 1918. Now, you could say, well, so what? You know, people get, um, people get predictions of what the enemy intend doing wrong. Um, what's so special about this memorandum? Well, to call it lost is, um, is, 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 I suppose, pushing the... Um, well, we do put that in quotation marks. Indeed. <laughs> pushing, pushing the use of the... Neglected, uh, of, perhaps. Of the word. But, but in fact, it, it, was, it was certainly lost to scrutiny and, and lost to view. Um, many books refer to it and refer to the prescience that Churchill had shown in, in his grasp of what German intentions would be. Um, and I've always known about it. But when I started writing my book, one of the things I did want to do, obviously, was to look at the memo uh, in its entirety. And there it is in the, in, in the National Archives. Uh, and what I found was actually the, by far the most interesting part of the memorandum was the second half, which was the what bit. Having outlined what he believed the Germans would do, he then went on to suggest what the French would have to do in order to um, deal with this uh, threat, um, and even more importantly, uh, what we should do with any small British um, army that we contributed to the uh, initial battles. Because the, the line the general staff were taking um, was to effectively integrate the British Expeditionary Force, which would have numbered about 100,000, 120,000 men, four or possibly five divisions. Um, they wanted to integrate that in really the French army order of battle, placing it on the extreme left of the deployed French army, that is to say on the, the Franco-Belgian border. Mm -hmm. When you think of comparisons, the, the French actually deployed uh, along their borders um, some 90 divisions, and we're talking about a BEF of some five divisions, yeah. uh, albeit highly professional, very, very well trained, and able to punch rather above their weight. Um, but uh, Churchill's view was that this would be fatal because the Germans would be able to um, concentrate, um, probably outflank, and then overwhelm the French line, and that we should not commit any of our troops forward. We should initially send um, a token force to France, and he suggested four divisions, but to send them not as far forward as the general staff wanted to, which was Maubeuge, almost on the Belgian border, but to concentrate them at tours between um, Paris and Saint-Nazaire, and then to build up their strength by bringing back regular troops from all over the world, replacing them if necessary by um, territorial, using the strength of the, the Royal Navy to do just that. And he calculated that by the 40th day of German mobilization, the Germans would be at uh, fullest stretch and that we would be able to build up a force of some 300,000 men, which in fact is what we um, what we did, but we, mm. we, we built it up in a in a, in a trickling sort of way and committed them to the battle in a trickle. So there was never the effect that would have been gained of throwing in a mass of 300,000 men. Mm. 
And what I wanted to do was to look at um, whether Churchill's suggestion would have been sensible in light of actual events. Uh, and what I conclude is that there was a, a, a moment, there was about a period of about three weeks, when the German right flank was completely open. There was a gap between it and the North Sea. But there simply weren't the Allied troops after the counteroffensive on the Marne to exploit that gap, to try to turn the German flank. But an uncommitted BEF of 300,000 men uh, would indeed have been able to turn that flank. And probably, because the Germans had had a bloody nose and were running out of steam, would probably have made them um, have to withdraw further into Belgium and uh, turn north to face the attack, and perhaps even to pull back as far as the, the Meuse itself, which would have meant that the end of 1914 would have come with the Allies in possession of most of Belgium, um, including the Belgian-Dutch border, and that that would have opened up immense strategic possibilities not least persuading perhaps the Dutch and the Danes to consider their position uh, as neutrals. Mm -hmm. And so we really would have had a much shortened First World War. Well, it, it's a possibility. And I know that um, here is the problem of always indulging in, um, in, in hindsight and the alternatives of history. But um, this isn't actually hindsight. This was an alternative proposal um, aired at the time um, and dismissed for want of really for want of a, of a staff that was able to uh, look at these things and um, in a dispassionate way. And just one last point, Alan. Um, how much did this dismissal of this plan, this extraordinarily prescient plan, how much did it affect Churchill's relationship with the military, with his generals in particular during the Second World War? Well, he he never wrote about it. It wasn't in his nature to to write that he told everybody so. And and of course, he was also having to carry the burden after the war of the the ill-starred um, Dardanelles venture. So he never wrote about it, um, and I can find um, no real reference to the um, the effect it had on his thinking. However. When I look at the way Churchill dealt with his generals in the Second World War, I, I, I see a man of uh, supreme confidence in his own uh, strategic and operational military judgment. Now, that didn't come from nowhere, and it's more than simply the, the brashness of a, um, a, of a young cavalry subaltern on the northwest frontier. Um, or, or a young yeomanry major. It's certainly, I think, born from his experiences in the First World War as a commanding officer of an infantry battalion on the Western Front, um, and as a man who was recommended for command of the brigade. But I also think that probably knowing that he had made the better strategic appreciation in 1911, and which he was still pressing on the the War Council, um, even in August 1914, mm -hmm. I think that that must have made him say to himself um, in certain moments that um, the professional military judgment 
by no means always the best uh, uh, and certainly not infallible. Mm. Well, thank you, Alan. Um, Churchill's Lost Memo by Alan Mallinson is published in the December edition of History Today. And may I also recommend to anyone interested in the First World War at all, Alan's latest book, which is 1914, Fight the Good Fight, Britain, the Army and the Coming of the First World War, which is published by Bantam. Thank you, Alan. Thank you very much.